Welcome. Uh, if you got your Bibles, open to Proverbs chapter 11, I think. Yeah, that's right. Proverbs chapter 11. Um, hey, thanks for coming and hanging out with us tonight. Uh, can I just say, I love Bridge Youth. I love our family. I love our community. I believe in this movement. I love you guys so much. Those of you who are like, you are diehard um, Bridgies. Y'all are here, rain or shine. Uh, practice or no practice, school or no school, test tomorrow or no test tomorrow, you're here. I just want to say I love you. You're so awesome. Uh, maybe you're new to our community. Maybe you're visiting. Maybe someone, uh, maybe someone invited you. Maybe someone dragged you here. Maybe somebody bri bribed you with coffee and you didn't know you were coming to church right after. Um, welcome. Uh, just know, like, we love you. One of our favorite things here is to meet new people. We like to tell our brand new people every single week we are here to build you up, not... Yeah, we love you, we back you, we're here for you. So tonight, we're in week three of this series entitled, This Is Us. Everyone shout, this is us. This is us. All right, everyone, look at your neighbor. Tell them, you are amazing. I love you so much. You are not just my friend. You're family. Now look at your other neighbor, the one you chose second, and tell them, yeah, all that stuff. Hey, I've been loving, loving, loving this series. Um, who, who's, who's been enjoying this series right along with me? It's been so much fun. I loved it. Um, we're moving on into week three, but the first two weeks, we really tackled um, a list of words that should be used. Bank alluded to it just a little bit ago. Can I just say, Bankhead, I love you so much, man. Contrary to popular belief, we're not identical twins. We get that a lot, um, but we're not. We're not. Uh, we're just really good friends. Uh, he's my brother. We have a we have actually our guest room in our house is officially called Bank's room. So if you ever pay a visit and you wanna, you have to take it up with Bank on whether or not you can stay in his room. Uh, but uh, in the first two weeks of this series, we really tackled a list from Galatians chapter five that's called the fruit of the spirit. It's nine things, nine words that should be used to describe Christians. Who was here in the first two weeks? You were here both weeks. All right, those of you raising your hands right now, who thinks that they could name from memory all nine things? Oh, just there's only a couple hands. There's a couple. My man right here. Come, come, come on up. Hey, give it up for my man in that USC sweater. Let's go. We got all these Ohio State fans coming out the woodworks. We got UFC. My man, I have, have a Chipotle gift card for you if you can name all nine. So what are they? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Let's go! Chipotle gift card for you, my man. Hey, what's your name? Austin. Give it up for Austin one time. I actually had a second Chipotle gift card in case you didn't have all nine and you wanted to bring a friend up on stage. But you know what? It, Austin, come here. Here. Austin, are you single? Don't answer that but maybe bring a girl to Chipotle. If you don't meet her in church, you might meet her in the club, man. I don't know. Tonight, we're going we're gonna to be tackling a little bit different of a subject. Uh, that week, we talked about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. These are nine things that should be used to describe Christians. And tonight, we're going to gather around this verse in uh, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24. Here it is. It says, the world of the generous. Everyone shout Generous. The world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. The one who blesses others is abundantly blessed. Those who help others is help. Somebody say amen. 
Tonight, we're going to be gathering around the idea that we are generous. Everyone shout, we are generous. We are generous. generous. That's what we're going to be talking about tonight. We should be known as a people who are generous. And of course, uh, those of us who are believers, those of us who, who follow God, who believe in God's word, who believe in Jesus and follow Jesus, we know and we should be reminded anytime we talk about generosity that we are generous because we serve a generous God. Amen? Now let me also, just as a preacher, really quick get this conversation out of the way. Let's talk about generosity within the context of the church real quick. If you come to church strictly with the mindset of what you can get out of it, you are missing so much of what church is about. If if your frame of mind is, is what you can get out of the church experience, you are missing so much of what church is all about. Now, if on the, and really that, that's actually like a really selfish frame of mind. But if you come to church with the perspective of what you could bring to the table, of what you could bring to the family, what you could bring to the community, how you could contribute to the experience, I believe you will all of a sudden begin to experience church in the way that God intended you to experience church. Amen? Now, let me even take it a step further. I believe that, that those who begin to, in these moments, after the jumping is over and family time is over. By the way, if you said that the best Christmas song is All I Want for Christmas is you, you, I will give you a list of all the local churches in the area. There are a lot of them. You can go ahead and find it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Imagine you're like, Brad, this is the night I decided to bring a friend. Oh, gosh, Corey, come on, move on. So, if you are the person who, when the preaching begins, when the message begins, that you begin to easily get distracted, or rather even a step further, you begin to distract people around you. I really believe that the issue there is not the fact that, because people say, oh, teenagers have such a short attention span. You can't preach at them for two. That's not, are you kidding me? Teenagers will play Fortnite for six hours straight. If I went onto, if I went onto your Netflix, like I would see 16 hours of The Office back to back from last weekend. Like you are off school, don't play games, I see you. But if you are the type of person who, who as soon as the preaching begins, you begin to sh- distract people around you, you, you just check out and you get on Instagram, can I just say, I believe the issue is not an, a, an attention span, I believe it is a selfish perspective. Because the moment that, that something doesn't interest you, you tune out, but what if, what if? The word that is being spoken isn't even for you. It's for your friend that never, like, isn't even sitting in the room. And the notes that you're taking in this moment, if generously shared with your friend, it could actually change their life. And if, if you didn't share it with them, they would never otherwise hear the word of God. What if, what if we all had a different perspective when it came to the word of God? What if we all had the perspective of once once Corey or whatever, whoever, whatever the preacher is on stage, I am going to commit myself for that 31 minutes and 49 seconds that is left to add to the experience and not take away from the experience. Because I'm not here just for me. What if, what if your friends sitting next to you, they're the ones who are tuning out and because you say, yes, that is good, amen, they'll lean over to you, what did he say? And you'd be like, look at the notes. Bam. They'd be like, that is so good. I would have missed it had you not been paying attention. 
What if your notes were the thing that, like, some people, most people, in fact, in your life will never hear me preach. But people in your life can read your notes on any given day. I believe what we need to begin to do when it comes to church is come to church with a generous perspective. Say, I'm not here for what I could get out of it. I'm here for what I could put into it. I'm here for not, not to take, but to give. Not to be, I am not here to be someone who just eats and eats and eats and eats the spiritual food. Rather, I am here to exercise what God has put in me. Amen? I believe that that is what we're called to do. Rant over, we are generous. Amen? Hey, let's pray. God, thank you so much for who you are, God. Thank you that you are generous, that you are loving, that you're merciful, God, that you freely give. Thank you, God, that you love to bless us. God, I pray that tonight that, that we would grab a hold of even just a fraction of your heart when it comes to generosity and that we too would be a generous people. God, I pray that we would grow in generosity. I pray that tonight that you would challenge us to become more generous, God, and that literally as we leave, we will leave with hearts of generosity. Going into this season, what a perfect time to grow in generosity. God, you are such a generous God. God, would you generously just make next football season so good, God. We know, God, that you, um, you are a crockpot God, and your promises sometimes take some time, God. And we're just believing that you're faithful, that your plans are to prosper us and not to harm us, to give us a hope and a future. God, I pray that that future would come sooner than later. And above all else, God, I pray that the Chargers and the Patriots wouldn't even make it past the first round of the playoffs. In Jesus' name, amen. Even the Rams. I'll take... I'll take the Rams. I'll take the Rams. I would, I would rather the Rams win the Super Bowl than, than the, the Chargers even make it to the playoffs. Let's just say it like that. And look, look, we may not agree on our football team, but we can all agree on this. We all hate the Patriots. <laughs> all of God's people said amen. One day I'm going to meet Tom Brady and have to explain myself. Tom's actually a Christian too, so... Maybe, what if he like, what if I end up speaking at his conference or something? Or what if I get booked for a conference where he's at thing, and then he watches my podcast and says, never mind. <laughs> Be like, well, good riddance, brother. I'll hit up Derek Carr. <laughs> hey, four, four ways that we can be generous. Number one, for all you note takers who will get into heaven before everybody else. The number one is time. Everyone shout time. time. Yeah, time, time. Um, so I've been married for some time now. Uh, nine years and some change, and uh, marriage has so many amazing things about it. There's so much fun. There's so many facets to marriage. There's so many uh, funny quirks about marriage and everything. And uh, and one of the one of the regular things about marriage is when you're having, we'll call it a, a verbal altercation. Other people might call it fights, but we're Christians, uh, pastors as well. We don't fight. We never fight. Um, we'll we'll call them heated disputes. Um, and you know, you, you, you think, like, I think as a husband that I'm so right about something, right? Like, you ever have those moments where someone's telling you something and you're like, huh, you're so dumb. <laughs> I know. And this is how confident you are. You're like, huh, watch this. And so you pull out your phone. You're like, I'm going to look it up. You ever tell someone that, like, with so much confidence? Let me look it up then. They're like, all right, then, look it up. And you're like, you are going to feel so stupid right now. And you go into Google, you go to Wikipedia, you hit the link, you start reading, 
and then you realize that you're wrong, and then, then what do you have to do? You have to pretend that the cell phone service is bad and you couldn't find the answer? You know, you're like, oh, like, dang it, Sprint! Uh, you, the, you start just making the dumbest excuses. You're like, uh, I've got, I'm working off a of 3G right now. It's like, oh, it just went to 1X. What is that? I don't even know. Like, uh, the Wi-Fi is spotty. They're like, they're, you weren't on Wi-Fi. And then she pulls her phone out. It's like LTE. I'll search it. So you just grab her phone and throw it across the room. You know what else are you going to do? As opposed to just admitting that you were wrong. <laughs> no. That's it. What do you do? You make a dumb excuse. You know, one of the dumbest excuses I hear when it comes to Christians and really just people about why they don't live generous lives, they say, I just don't got the time. I don't, I don't, have, I don't have any time. No, you do. No, I don't. I, I, just so, so strapped for time. No, no, you got time. No, I have no time. I'll, actually, you have the exact same time as the rest of us. You have the, it's so funny when people, when you haven't seen someone for a while, ministries like this, it's funny. Say, hey, how have you been? And they want to sound really important, so they are oh, so busy. I've been so busy. Just, man, so, and people will say, I'm not generous because I don't have the time. And the reality is, is you have just as much time as the rest of us, so I would then ask you, what do you give your time to? What do you, like, I want you to actually take a moment and begin to think about that right now. What do you give your time to? What does your week look like? Let's back it up a little bit from there. What, what does your everyday look like? What are you giving your time to? Nobody can take your time. You have to give your time, except for school, because basically that's prison, but it is what it is. You'll be out soon. <laughs> like, class of 2019, 2018 graduated last year. Yeah, we're almost done. <laughs> Class of 2020, that's weird. Like, will the world even be around still? I don't know. Like, what do you give your time to? The other excuse that I hear so often is, is uh, I have more important things to do. I have more. And, and with that, I want to go to a story in the New Testament in Luke chapter 9. Uh, we're going to be, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 8, verse, verse number 40. Um, I love this story. If you got your paper Bibles, you might not make it. Anybody got a paper Bible? Let's go. Come on now. Hey, preach the truth and shame the devil. We highlight our verses. Oh my gosh, we're so spiritual. If you got your phone, just type in Luke 8:40. If you don't have a Bible at all, it'll be in the Big Sky Bible. Here's what it says. It says, now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, everyone say Jairus, just in case you're looking for a solid boy name for your firstborn son. Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. Whew. As Jesus was on his way, the crowd almost crushed him. Anyone ever feel like that, like at the front during worship, song one? You're like, oh my gosh, this is wild. Give us more room. Corey, move the chairs back. No, I like you to be close when I preach. Moving on. Almost crushed him. Verse 43. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. Get the picture of the parallel here. Jairus' daughter, 12 years old, about to die. This woman had had this issue, this medical issue of bleeding for 12 years. It goes on, it says, 
but no one could heal her. She came up behind Jesus and touched the edge of his cloak, just the, the, the edge of his clothes, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Verse 45, who touched me, Jesus said. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding around and pressing against you. It's crazier than Coachella. But Jesus said, someone touched me. I know that the power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet in the presence of all the people. She told why she touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, daughter, notice the language, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. This woman was somebody who would have been incredibly unimportant. She would have been poor. She would have been a nobody. She would have legitimately been an outcast and outsider. Because of the specific issue that she had within her culture, she would have been considered what was called unclean meaning she couldn't go to family gatherings or birthday parties. She couldn't even go to church. Furthermore, she wouldn't be able to make any physical contact with anybody because any physical contact with this woman would then make whoever then had that physical contact unclean as well. So catch this. She just touched Jesus. So then Jesus would be considered ceremonially unclean. He stops everything. The disciples are thinking, oh, he's going to tell her off. How dare you touch me? I'm a spiritual man. I am the Messiah. You, can, I, you're, you almost made me unclean. That's not what he said. He instead stops, and what does he do? He takes time with her. Now let's stop and consider this. He took time with her, which means he was taking time away from someone else. Because here's the thing. Anytime you take time with something, you're taking time away from something else. Consider that when you begin to make very time-consuming decisions. Yeah, I'm going to play every single sport. Are you? Because know that that yes, those 12 yeses, means 12 no's to something else. Things like your family, things like your friends, things like church, often even things that God has called you to. Jesus said yes to this unimportant woman, saying no to Jairus. The one who someone's going to name their first son that. You know who Jairus was? He was a Jewish religious leader in the synagogue. Meaning this. He was very important. Actually, he was well known. Almost everybody in this crowd that almost crushed Jesus would have known Jairus. You know, you know who Jairus was? Jairus was the person who would have been able to financially contribute to Jesus' ministry. He was the one that would have, would have been able to propel and push forward and give momentum to Jesus' movement. And Jesus says, hey, super important person, hold up. I need to talk to this nobody. How often do you go and talk to the nobodies in your world? Or is it always about the important people that can propel your life forward, that can get you more followers, that can get you on the team? that can get you the money you're looking for, that can get you the job you're pursuing, that can get you the popularity that you want, that can get you into the group of friends, that can get you the, the audition for the uh, drama? I don't know. Like, maybe we're going a little too deep on this. Like, the mafia is going to help, like, help you win the local basketball game. Like, how often do you turn your attention to the nobodies in your world? 
Jesus did that. Now catch this. Catch, see what happens in this interaction. You thought that it was crazy already? The plot thickens. Look at your neighbor. Tell him, listen up. Check this out. Verse 49, when Jesus was still talking to this nobody, unimportant, outsider woman, the uh, someone from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler, see how they had to add that in there again? The synagogue ruler, he was so important. Someone from his house came and said, your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Imagine you're Jairus. And this unimportant, nobody, dweeb, face cover in acne, holding their anime book right then and there. Like, I'm just explaining me from the eighth grade, so it is what it is. This, like, this outsider that everybody deems as a nobody, you're not important, stay to the side, nobody cares, forget you. What's your name again? What are you even doing here? Get out of the room, get out of the way. Oh, now you're making us pop. And then Jairus, this important dude, his daughter dies because Jesus took time with her. Imagine you're Jairus. I could see Jairus like, woman! Men, don't ever say woman to any woman who's not your wife. In that case, you let her know, like, hey, I'm the boss of my house when you're not home, okay? <laughs> like, imagine Jairus. You, you slowed Jesus down, and now my daughter is dead because of you. Woman, you were just sick. You were just sick. And you, if you didn't stop Jesus, if you didn't, get, if you didn't even get healed, you would just be sick. But at least you would be alive. My daughter's dead. My, my prayer request was more important. How often do we think, well, my, my prayer request is more important. Imagine Jairus. And God help me, Lord. Bank help me. Help me. You're going to feel this as a pastor now, man. I know you're new to the game a little bit, but you ain't new to ministry. We know how to, like, people get mad at you as a pastor because you didn't get around to praying for them. Like, oh, you. He didn't pray for me. Guess what? Your connect group leaders got the same anointing as me. The same spirit that's in me is in them. I don't need to pray for you. I'd love to pray. I would love to pray for every single one of you guys. Oh, I would love, my, my wife wants to murder me almost every Wednesday because I want to chill here till two in the morning. And she's like, boy, I need some sleep. And I'm like, yes, ma'am. I, I, I like being married, I want to remain married. <laughs> but like, like, some of us, some people are like, Pastor Corey, <laughs> he didn't say hi to me tonight. He didn't say he didn't say hi to me. I'm so important. Like, imagine Jairus. His daughter was dead because Jesus took time with a nobody. He took time with a nobody. Who do you take time with? Who, who do you give your time to? Let me ask you, do you strictly give your time to important people? Let me, okay, some of you are like, no, 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 that's not, that's not me. I love everybody, all of them. I love everybody. Okay, do you only give your time to important stuff? 
Because what you consider important might not be what God considers important. Everybody in this group, the disciples included, all of them thought, oh, Jairus, let's get to his house. This is so important. But Jesus stopped and said, what every one of you think is unimportant and actually what you've been ignoring for 12 years, I'm going to give space and time in my life to this woman. Do you only give your time, your attention, your moments to important people and important things? Can I tell you that, that I, as a pastor, I've been in hospitals with dying people. I've, I've, I've sat at bedsides with families of dying people. And you know what they didn't talk about? They didn't talk about all the promotions they got. I've never once heard a single person. I have, I have sat in hospitals of teenagers. I, I've, had, I've had students in my youth ministry pass away. And I've never heard anybody say, oh, she had so many followers on Instagram, nobody cares. I've never heard once somebody on at a funeral say, yeah, and at that CIF game, they scored 20. I've never heard that. You know what I hear every time? Everybody talks about, in the last moments of life, they talk about people. They talk about people, how they impacted people, how people loved them and they loved people, the effect they had on people's lives. Let me challenge you with this. If you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. Give your time, give your time now to what will matter in the end which I'll tell you is God and people. God and people. Let's keep moving. Our second point for all you note takers, we got time, we got talent. Maybe you're the type of person, as soon as I said talent, it's like you are that person who's good at everything that they do. <clears throat> <Tomez. clears throat> ah, come on, cough drops and Holy Spirit, help me. Or maybe you're the type who's got the one thing that you're good at. Either way, here's what I would ask you. What are you doing with what God has given you? What are you doing with what God has given you? We just read eight verses ago. Now we're going to read, now we're going to read 12 verses. Oh, you guys read? Those of you who are like daily Bible readers, I got you. We're adding on to it. All right, stick with me. Here we go. Matthew chapter 25. Verse number 14, if you're there, say amen. If you need more time, say hold up. You got three seconds, and then you got to look at the sky Bible. Two and one. Matthew 25, verse 14, I'm reading ESV. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them to his property. To, uh, to one, he gave five talents, to another, two, to another, one, to an, according to his ability. Now, it's funny that it says, says talents. Really what it's talking about is money, but a talent was a piece of money back in that day. So the parallel here seemingly fits so well. Then he went away. Verse 16, he who had received five talents went at once and traded them. He put to use what he was given. He traded them, and he made five talents more. So also the one who had two talents made two more talents. But he who had only received one talent went and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. All right, like, not even the most logical way to protect the money. If all you got 
is a dollar, don't, like, don't dig a hole in your backyard and expect it to be solid. Like your dogs are gonna dig it up, maybe eat it, possibly poop on it, maybe pee on it. If you have a cat, I'll pray for you. Cats are from the devil. Now I'm just gonna keep talking trash on cats till I find my spot. Verse 19, now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Verse 20. And he who had received five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made you five more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he who also had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I here. It's just like how I hear this guy. Like his voice is just a little bit more high-pitched than the five-talent guy. Here, I have made you two more. His master said, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Verse 24, boom, boom, boom. He also, who had received one talent, came forward saying, master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you where you did not scatter no seed. So I was afraid. Doesn't sound like he knew his master at all. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. But his master said to him, you wicked and slothful servant. We got so many people in the church burying their talent, staying underground because they're convinced in fear that they got nothing to offer. Notice in this story, the master didn't hold responsible the guy with two talents at the level of the guy that had five talents, nor the guy with one talent. He didn't hold him responsible at the level of the guy with two talents. No, to each, they were responsible for what was given to them. You are not responsible for anybody else's calling. You are responsible for what God's called you to. You are not responsible to carry out anything that God hasn't first given you. God has equipped you. He's given you talents. He's given you abilities. You just have to learn them. God, you, God will never hold you responsible for things that he didn't first call you to accomplish. Furthermore, he won't, he won't keep you responsible for things that he hasn't equipped you to accomplish. God has gifted every single one of you, and he's not going to hold you responsible for something he hasn't equipped you to do. Let me say it like this. If you have already hit all your growth spurts, and you're done growing, and you're five foot nothing, he's probably not gonna hold you responsible for making it to the NBA. Right? Like, if you're tone deaf and you can't tell the difference between the key of G and the key of C sharp, he's not gonna hold you responsible for the same things he holds Jaden responsible for. All right, like, he is not gonna be like, all right, well, I'm gonna hold you responsible for being a worship leader, even though I haven't given you the ear for music at all. For all of you artists out there, you artsy fartsy artists who are 30 minutes late to everything, you've never once put anything into a calendar, and the moment in seventh grade when letters made their way into math, you instantly got gray hair, God will probably not hold you responsible for overseeing the finances and the business of a church. But you know what he will hold you responsible for? What he's equipped you to do. The talents that he's given to you. So let me ask you like this. What are you good at? What are you good at? Are you a singer? 
Are you a musician? Are you a writer? Are you a poet? Are you an athlete? Are you friendly? Like, are you a people person? Are you great with social media? Are you really good with computers? Are you a gamer? What are you good at and how could God use you in your area of gifting? Because newsflash, not everyone's even called to preach. Actually, the Bible says that few people should preach. Not a lot of people should preach. God, like, if you're not called to preach, God's not going to hold you accountable for standing on a stage with a microphone and preaching to people. Another newsflash. Can I just tell you that the stage is not the standard. We don't need a church that continues to look at the stage and say, I need to be that. We need a church that begins to look in themselves and say, what has God gifted me to do? Because, hey, another newsflash, the stage is for viewing, not comparing. You know, why you know why this thing is three feet tall? It's not so that the people on stage can be elevated. Like, it's so that everybody in the room can see you. We don't need an entire room of people saying, well, I want to preach. I want, the way Bank did transition, I want to do that. The way Gabe sang that song, I want to. No, we need people to begin to look in themselves and say, what has God gifted me to do? Because maybe you're the friendliest person anyone's ever met, and you could stand outside these doors and begin to greet people as they walk in and disarm them so that by the time anybody steps on this platform, they're comfortable and ready to hear from God. That's what we need. We don't need more people coveting the stage. Can I just say, stop comparing callings. You don't got to compare your calling to anybody. God's called you to do something specific to your abilities. He's gifted you to do what he's called you to do. Amen? Well, come on now. Let's keep on keeping on. Number three, if you're taking notes, treasure. Treasure. And everybody just thought of that Bruno Mars song. Treasure. That is what you want. Anyways, let's just kick this off by saying yes. Look at your neighbor. Say yes. yes. Look at your other neighbor. Say yeah. Yes. I am talking about money. You see, how, you see how awkward it got right there? People get so awkward in church when you talk about money. Did you know that other than the statement, sentence, kingdom of God, that money is actually the topic Jesus talked about the most? More than any other time. I know. I felt the exact same that you feel right now. No. Jesus talked the most about love because he was so, nope. Money, number one. No, he talked. He was the Prince of Peace. He talked about peace. I know it. Mo he talked about peace more than money. Nope. Money. He talked about money more than anything else. Actually, 11 of his 39 parables, 11 of the 39 were about finances. Did you know that Jesus talked more about money than he did about heaven and hell combined? Why? Because he knows how much money can wrap itself around the heart of humanity. And how many know that if it's important to Jesus, it should be important to us. Now here's the thing about money. I've heard it said, and I believe this is one of the reasons Jesus talked about it so much. You show me where a person spends their time and their money, and I'll show you what matters to them the most. I'm going to say that again. Show me where someone spends their time and their money. I will show you what they are in love with 
the most, what they are infatuated with the most, what they are dedicated to the most. And here's the thing, too, about, about money. The funny thing is, is that when you begin to preach about money, people think it's about money. It's not actually ever about money. Whenever it comes to money and Jesus talks about money, he always connected it to the human heart. See, money is never about money. Money is actually about faith. Because what's the number one thing God wants from humanity? To be believed in. Faith. See, God, it's not that he cares so much about money. No, he wants you to believe him and to trust him and to look to him. And when people don't look to God, what's the first thing they always look to? Money. See, it's not about money at all. It's actually all about faith. But then when it comes, and see, this is why it's, this is why generosity is not about affordability. This is why you don't have to be generous at the level that you can afford. Can I say, Amber, like when we started ministry, we were broke, not broke. We couldn't afford the K and the E. We were just broke. We had no money. But can I tell you, we were consistently generous beyond what we made. And can I tell you that you walk into my it's so funny when people come over to my house. I love when people come to my house because I just start pointing out all the free stuff that I've gotten. All the stuff that people just, hey, Corey, uh, want a TV? Yeah, I'll take a TV. Hey, Corey, you want a, no joke, this is real. This is, this is like, God is my way. This is a real scenario. Hey, Corey, you want a $10,000 couch? How much? Free. I'll take it. <laughs> you want a coffee table? You, you, you want some bar stools? You want a basketball court? You want three surfboards? No joke. Like, if you were to have walked into my house eight years ago, what God had blessed me with did not match up to what I had in the bank and what I made for a living. Because affordability has nothing to do with generosity. And let me tell you this, you can't outgive God. Trust me, I have tried. You can't outgive God. I believe it also is not just about money, it's about things. What do you have? What things have God, has God blessed you with? You got a pool? You got a car? You got video games? Got a bike? Tonight we had some guys show up just to, to bike on our ramps. David ran, one, one of our leaders, David, ran outside and said, dude, I randomly brought my bike. I'm gonna go jump on my bike. He jumped on his bike, started biking with them, met them, Shane, I think he, where, where are you, David? There you are, buddy. I think he exchanged information with them. So, dope. Like, what? Do you got a cell phone? Have you ever stopped and thought to yourself that your cell phone is actually a blessing? Trust me, I grew up in a generation that didn't have cell phones. It's a blessing. You have friends that would maybe literally kill to get an iPhone. Your phone is a blessing. And with, with all the junk that happens on cell phones, is there not one, two, a thousand ways that you could let God use you on your cell phone? Do you not have like every social media platform that you could be light and life to this world? Do you not have people's phone numbers that you can text and encourage? Have you ever stopped and thought, my cell phone is a blessing? What do you have? Let's, let's just take it a step further. What do you have that someone else needs? Now, if you're like, whoa, whoa, Corey, you telling me to get rid of my cell phone? My parents will kill me. And then they'll find out you preached about it. And they'll, they'll come and kill you too. My mom is crazy, trust me. <laughs> no, let me just say it like this. Like, so nobody can claim that I'm being extreme. 
what do you have extra of that you could get rid of? Basketball players in the room, how many of you guys have eight pairs of hoop shoes sitting in your closet, but dude on your team is still rocking the 2015 hyper dunks that are all tore up? And he's the same size as you. How many of you football players have your cleats from JV that don't fit you anymore, and you know people who can't afford these cleats? Did you know that we run a, a program here called Community Care? That every single week we give out food, we give out clothing, and we give out shoes. We give out supplies. We have a place where you could bring clothes and shoes on a weekly basis just to bless other people. Did you know that we have, starting this Sunday, a program called Adopt a Child where you can spend $50 to buy Chris two Christmas gifts for a kid that wouldn't otherwise have Christmas gifts? Oh, no, no, no. Let's, let's leave the generosity to the adults. Um, no, like that is exactly what this series is about. What if, we, you know, we already, for Adopt Child, we already have a waiting list. What if our youth ministry took care of the waiting list? What if, what if our youth ministry stepped up and said, hey, I will say no to two $25 gifts so that I can get a kid who wouldn't have any gifts, gifts for Christmas? Or is it just, yeah, I take care of number one. I take care of me. Well, that shouldn't be. I, can I tell you, I love the reputation the Bridge Church has of how generous we are. I love it, but I'm also not content. I want our community to look at the Bridge Church and go, it is ridiculous how generous they are. That youth group, it is crazy how generous they are. It's actually, like, I want, it to be, I want us to be so generous, it's like semi-uncomfortable. You know what I'm saying? Like, when someone's like, hey, let me buy you lunch. No, man, like, you bought lunch the last 27 times. Well, I'm buying again. Like, I want to be that generous. I want to be so generous that people start getting awkward with how much we bless them. And I think we're already getting there, and we're seeing the way God blesses us in return. You can't outgive God. Trust me. One time I gave, I gave a pair of shoes to a homeless guy. It was the shoes I wore to my wedding. Gave a pair of shoes to this homeless guy, and no joke, that weekend, I was at my friend Solomon's house, and, and he goes, hey, Corey, I got these Nikes. They're size 11, if anyone looking for a Christmas gift. Is Vic here? Vic's not here. Dang it. Mike might have got some Yeezys out of that one. And, and, and I'm at Solomon's house. He says, I got these Nikes. They're size 11. I can't return them. They're too small. You want them? You know the shoes, I, the shoes I gave to the homeless guy? They were Vans Classics, $40 shoe. These shoes that Solomon gave me, $150 shoes. Easily. Easily. He just gave them to me. You can't. I got a thousand more stories just like that. You can't outgive God, but man, is it fun to try. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24 says, give freely and become more wealthy. Whoa, whoa. That's one of the verses you read and you're like, oh, the Bible makes no sense, but it's true. Give freely. You give away and you become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will they themselves be refreshed. Giving actually refreshes your soul. You don't believe me? Give something away this week and just see how you feel. As the band heads up, um, let me do a quick illustration. This is the best way that I know how to do this. I need, I need two, two people. I need a, one guy, one girl. Hey, come, come on up, dude. I need one lady. Not you, Quentin. Come on, man. Come on up on stage. 
I said, I need a lady. He said, I'm a cheerleader. Pick me. I said, I'm just kidding. I love you so much, Quentin. You are legitimately the best. I love you so much. Now forget it. Come on, Quentin. Come on. Get on up here, buddy. I love you so much. Come on. No, you stay too. You're going to. Okay. He's just showing off the muscles. It's okay. He said, I'm wearing Jordans and I'm muscular. <laughs> All right. I need to sit here. Hold this. Quentin, hold that. You hold this. I need, I need some random stuff. Uh, does anybody have a pen, journal, phone that you'll trust me with? You, you, you need to be responsible for this, though, because I'll need to give it back to you in a second. Here you go. What you got? Whoa, what are you throwing to me, bank? No, okay. Got it. You impressed? I'm as impressed as you are. Trust me. Here, hold that. Who's it? This is Jordan's phone. Hold it. All right. Here's what I want you to do, my man. I want you to hold everything out in front of you like that so I can take it, give it back to you. Quentin, I want you over here, hold everything as tight as you can and don't let me take anything. I saw Quentin walk the length of a track field with a cheerleader on his shoulders. So trust me, this man is strong. If I want, I couldn't get something from him if I tried. But also, watch this. Did that hurt? I'm sorry, I hit your knuckle, it thudded. That's my bad. Quentin is in no position to receive anything from me. Now, he's got, he's got his stuff, and he's not going to lose it. There's no way I'm taking it from him. Now, what, what's your name, my man? Aaron. Aaron? That's a good, that's a strong name. Now, but, but watch, watch Aaron and the posture he's in. You see, this is a kind of dangerous posture, because then I could come, I could take everything, and then he feels all kinds of empty-handed, like he's got nothing. But then all of a sudden, I could come right back over and give him whatever. I mean, I could, I could give him a new iPad. If, I'm going to need that back, buddy. I, my notes are in there. You see, he, he is, and, and Quentin's over here holding on to God knows what. He's grasping so tight to his Honda Civic because it's mine. And, I, and like, I could be over here trying to give him the keys to a Lamborghini, but he isn't in a position to take it. Now, Aaron, on the other hand, can receive whatever is given to him. This is the way in which you need to hold everything in your life everything. Because yes, while it's dangerous, you could be walking down the street and God says, you see that homeless person? Go give him your shoes. And you're like, walking home barefoot. Like, it's dangerous. But then at the same time, I'll promise you this, you can't out give God. Amen. Hey, give it up for my two amazing assistants. That's my Bible. I'm going to need that to preach the good word, brother. Aaron, I have no clue who, uh, it's all right. I'm going to take a drink anyways. That's the posture you got to live in. And it's funny, people, people get all tense when you start talking about 10%, a tithe. Ten, God has asked us to hold everything, to give him everything, our entire lives. And we're over here tripping about 10%? Newsflash, God does not want 10% of your money. He wants 100% of your money. One, he just called you to give 10% to your local storehouse, your local church. The other 90%, he wants you to commit to him to say, yeah, I will use this to take care of my needs, my wants, my desires. But every time you bless me, God, I will look at that as my opportunity to bless others. And I will live open-handed. The, um, the last thing I think we as a community need to be generous with, and we've got time, we've got talent, we've got treasure. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to abandon... Um, I'm going to abandon the, the preaching three T's, go, go against every single uh, preaching tip that you can get. 
I say, I think that we need to be known as people who are so incredibly generous with forgiveness. I think that this means that we need to be, yes, quick to forgive. I think that this means that we need to be people who are generous with grace and with mercy. That, that we need to be a people that don't hold on to offense. We don't hold grudges. We don't seek revenge. But we're generous with, for we should forgive so, so much. How much? It's like when Peter in Matthew 18, Peter asked Jesus, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? And Jesus says, no, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Now, those of you who are like me and you're terrible at math, don't worry. Jesus isn't calling you to crunch those numbers. So what? 490. You could have told me 490,000 and I would have believed you. Here's the thing. Jesus wasn't trying to get you to crunch numbers or put together an equation. He was making a point. You need to be generous with your forgiveness. Ultimately, what he was trying to say is because seven is the number of completion. And he said, complete, incomplete, never ending. You need to forgive always and forever. You should be known for your forgiveness. I think, um, I think that we should be... So generous with forgiveness, um, dare I say that it should shock people. I think we should be so generous with forgiveness that actually people should start stay, saying stuff to us like, you really shouldn't be their friend anymore. And you're like, oh, I know. You know, they, they don't deserve your forgiveness. Yeah, no, I know. I know. They actually never even asked you for forgiveness. Yeah. I know. It should actually be like semi-scandalous how forgiving we are and how quick we forgive people. Like we don't, we don't draw things out. We don't seek revenge. We don't dwell on it. No, we just forgive. We let it go and we move on with our life. I've heard it said that holding unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. You see that if you forgive people, you're the one who's set free. Unforgiveness is like sitting in a jail cell begging for freedom, but you have the keys in your hand. Forgive generously. Forgive freely. So as we're, we're ending, um, we're coming to the end of 2018, let me ask you this question. Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to forgive? For some of you, a name just popped into your mind right there. Some of you have been wondering, uh, what's, with the, what's with the post-it notes that can't stick to the back of the chairs? <laughs> um, in this moment, Sage, I love you so much, dude. That's not on you, brother. That's on me. Um, I forgive you so quickly, so freely, so generously. <laughs> like you start doing that. Um, it's actually because sometimes I think we need to bring something physical and some reality into what's going on on the inside. And here's what I want to do. In a moment, I'm going to pray for you. And maybe while I'm praying, or maybe for those of you who, who are note takers, who have journals, you want to write in your journal instead of this post-it. But uh, if this post-it's all you got, I want you to write down on this post-it 
um, a name of someone you need to forgive. Maybe someone around you might know that name. Just put a letter. Maybe someone might know the first letter of the first name of this person. Put the first letter of their middle name. Just put something that for you will give a visual to this is who I'm choosing to forgive in this moment. And now check it out. It's not because they deserve it. It's not because they've earned it. It's not even because they've asked you for forgiveness, but rather it is because you are going to choose to be generous with your forgiveness. That's what this moment is about. That, that is what this level of forgiveness is about. While you're thinking about that, before I pray for you, I want to tell you a story. Um, this week while I, was, while I was preparing for this message, I stumbled across the story of a man named uh, Matt Swatzel. And Matt was 20 years old. He was a firefighter. And uh, he had worked a very long shift, over 24 hours. And he had, he had less than 30 hours of sleep. And he's heading home. And um, while heading home, he ended up falling asleep at the wheel. And he woke up to having crossed the medium and hit somebody head on. He hit a, he hit a lady named, uh, named June Fitzgerald. June Fitzgerald was in the car with her 19-month-old uh, daughter in the back seat. Uh, while June's daughter, Faith, she survived, June, um, June actually died. She died almost immediately. Get this, June was seven months pregnant. They also lost what would have been a newborn baby boy. So uh, they show up at, um, at June's husband's house, knocks on the door, uh, pounds on the door. They say, hey, you got you to gotta get going. His name's Eric. You got to get going. We got to get to the hospital. Your wife has been in a horrible car accident. By the time he gets to the hospital, they say she was, she was pronounced dead on arrival. She didn't make it. Obviously, he immediately asked, well, what about my son? Is your, your son didn't make it either, but your daughter, Faith, miraculously, she, she, she made it out with very, very little injury. She's, she's fine. Hey, this, fast forward a couple years. Uh, Eric's on the phone with the state prosecution, and they ask him this question. How do you want to pursue legal ramifications towards Matt? You can go for the maximum sentence, which would include jail time, probation, essentially Matt's life being over. He would never be a firefighter again. He would probably never hold down another steady job. His life would pretty much be over. Or you can go for the minimum sentence, which is little to no punishment or somewhere in between. And, and you know what Eric, you know what Eric said? He said, this was my moment to show forgiveness in the way that I had experienced forgiveness. Eric Fitzgerald was a youth pastor at a church called New Spring in Georgia. And he said, you have to forgive in the way that you've been forgiven. And so he actually asked the prosecution to go for the less even, if possible, the minimum punishment. Because he said, I believe this guy, Matt, He's not a bad guy. He's a firefighter who got off a shift. Matt ended up having to pay a fine and did community service. Later, Matt, Matt, ended, up, um, Matt ended up getting married. And Matt ended up, his, his wife got pregnant. And his wife's due date for their son was the same due date in February 
as the son that Eric lost. Here's the craziest part about this whole story. One day after Matt, the, the firefighter, had, had um, done all the legal stuff, he, he was in their local town and he was going into a drugstore to, uh, you guys don't call it drugstores. You're like, why was he going into a drugstore? Like, ah, no, uh, like a, a market, like Rite Aid or something. And he was going into the store because he had been thinking so much about Eric and the horrible mistake that he made. He wanted to go and he wanted to just get a card for Eric, fill it out, send it to him and just tell him, I'm so sorry. I've been thinking about you. I've been praying about you. As he walks into this store, Eric is walking out of the store. And immediately Eric says, Matt, would you go, literally, would you go to Waffle House with me? Let's go, let's go get food. And Matt told him, I don't know what it is. I, I'm sorry, Eric told him, I don't know what it is, Matt, but I want, I want you in my life. I want you to be my friend. He said, I, I want to let you know it's not your fault. Imagine, imagine the person who is responsible for the death of your spouse and your unborn kid. He said, it's not your fault. I want you to, and they're now great friends. They meet every other week at that same Waffle House to this day. They sit down, they talk. Pastor Eric, he actually helped in counseling Matt in his marriage. You know how it all started? You, you know what was the moment that softened Eric's heart to seek the minimum sentence and to seek friendship with Matt? He was at youth group and a young girl walked up to him in the middle of the chaos that his wife had passed away, his unborn kid had passed away, and this young girl walked up to her pastor because she knew church is not just about what I can get out of it. And she said, Pastor Eric, I've been thinking, how must the driver, the other car, be feeling? A young girl. If Eric could forgive Matt, you and I can forgive. If, if Jesus could forgive you and me, for everything we've ever done, you and I can forgive as well. I'm gonna pray and maybe in this moment while the majority of the room has their eyes closed, that's when you wanna jot down the name and stick the note in your pocket or roll, fold it up and hold it in your hand, whatever. Well, I'm gonna pray for you in this moment. God, I pray that every one of us would have a heart of generosity for forgiveness. God, I pray broken hearts mended right now. I pray weight and being lifted off his shoulders. I pray, God, as we write down these names, God, that it would change everything. God, I pray that we would be the ones getting set free in this moment right now. In Jesus' name, amen. The world of the generous grows larger and larger, and I believe that means for forgiveness as well. There's a reason why I wanted that moment to come before this moment, because you forgiving others paves the way for God to forgive you. I think that truly, truly, generosity, it actually always comes down to trust. If you trust that God's paved out eternity for you, you'll trust him with your time. If you trust that God's given you talents and abilities for a purpose, then you'll let him use them. If, if you trust that God will take care of your every need, then you will give generously. If you trust that God is the just judge of the ages, that judgment belongs to him, and if you trust that he's forgiven you, then you too will turn around and generously forgive. But maybe you're here tonight and you've never put your trust in God. Maybe you've never given God your heart, 
your mind, your trust. Well, tonight is your moment. This is your time. Maybe you just forgave someone, but you're sitting here yourself saying, I need forgiveness. You're gonna have the opportunity to receive that forgiveness tonight. Would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes? This is a, a public setting, but this is a private moment. Nobody looking around. If you're here tonight and you say, that's, that's me, that's me, Pastor Corey. I, I'm forgiving while I'm, I'm saying and I'm writing down names or I got someone in my mind, I got someone in my heart, but really, I'm the one who needs to be forgiven. If that's you tonight, this is your moment. God loves you so much. In fact, he loves you so much that he sent Jesus, his son, to die for your sins, to pave the way for forgiveness over every mistake you've ever made. Everything, everything you've ever done, every mistake and every sin to be washed away and forgiven right now in this moment. All, all that it is is putting your trust in Jesus Christ. And I'm going to ask you to respond in a very simple way. I'm going to ask you to respond in just a moment that when I count to three, I just want you to shoot your hand in the air. And I just ask you to raise your hand because I believe that when you feel your hand physically go in the air, like when you felt your hand writing that name, it seems to solidify it in your heart, in your mind, in your soul. So if that's you, tonight's your night. This is your moment. Don't miss it. Tomorrow's not promised to anyone. God loves you. He'll forgive you in this moment right here. If that's you, on the count of three, one, two, three, all over this place, shoot your hand in the air. Hands going up everywhere. Anybody else? Anybody else? This is your moment. This is your time. God loves you so much. God loves you so much. He, he is faithful to forgive. This is your time and this is your moment. Anybody else? It's amazing. Amazing. Anybody else? Maybe you ran away from God and you're like, man, I don't deserve forgiveness. It's not about us deserving it. It's about God freely and generously giving it. If that's you, just raise your hand right where you're at. Anybody else? Anybody else? You know, the Bible says if you confess with your mouth, you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that you'll be saved. So that's what we're going to do in just a moment. We're going to pray together in one voice because we're a family. Whether you raised your hand or you didn't, let's all pray this together. You can put your hands down. Pray this right after me. Say these words. I'm giving you the words, but they're your words. Wrap your heart around them. Mean them with everything in you. Say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner but I know you're a savior. I need forgiveness. Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins, but you rose from the dead. So tonight, I give you my heart, I give you my mind, I give you everything, and I'm gonna follow you for the rest of my days. No turning back, no looking back. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Can we welcome people into our family right now?